Welcome to another edition of the Raw of the Lions UK podcast, sponsored by Buzz and Sounds Recording Studio. My name's Matthew Turner. Thank you so much for joining us once again. I'm here with Aaron Fletcher and Anthony Fitzpatrick. How are you doing, boys? I am good, mate. Um, in preparation for tonight, and in my little bit of excitement for how the season's going so far, I went and had a bit of Detroit-style pizza from my new favourite restaurant in Manchester, Corner Slice. Uh, which literally is a Detroit-style pizza place. So for those of you living in Detroit who sit there and uh, wonder what goes on over here, yeah, I, I just sit, eat, sit and eat Detroit-style pizza all the time because we actually have that. I was going to say, and if you can't make it up to Manchester, my, my girlfriend makes Detroit-style pizzas about once a week and they're bloody beautiful. They look good. Um, I don't know about you, Ant, but I know what, we're obviously planning it hopefully at some point when, when all this shit kind of goals and we're all able to actually sit together and have a pint that we're not far away from Bristol and Matt can invite us all around for Detroit style pizza made by made by Matt uh, Matt's girlfriend uh, yeah I'm up for that one as long as he's uh, you know very welcoming and put some pineapple on there for me I don't care that'll be uh, that'll be all good I'm not sure if pineapple goes on pizza, but it doesn't go on Detroit-style pizza. I know that much. Uh. I just want to say thank you, Sarah, for the hospitality, and we all look forward to it. Um, no, Matt has not agreed to this. Yes, we are just inviting ourselves. There's always a floor for you here. <laughs> oh, man. Bristol's a good place to go out to. You'll enjoy it. Sorry, and I stopped you with a little hello right at the start. What's been going on with you, man? Uh, no, not a great deal, really. I've just been enjoying Victory Week. Um, well, Victory Weeks. Uh, now it's getting really odd. I feel like I could do this a lot more often. To be fair, it uh, makes it it makes it go a lot more quicker and nicer when you're not uh, reflecting on you know a lost lead or anything every week. It's just nice to you know be winners. Completely and, agree. I'm looking forward to Monday as it is. Yeah, and traders as well. Traders four. It's about this time of year we're usually worrying about who the hell we're going to trade away this year. But this year, we're buying in. We're investing in the team. So, mm. yeah. Just to reiterate from a lot of lines, Twitter, do not sell Marvin Jones, you fools. Um, anyway, we're going to move on to a little bit of news before we go straight into the Colts at Lions review. So starting off with the roster news since we last spoke, Lions reduced, uh, released linebacker Elijah Lee, core special teamer from the main roster, uh, presumably to make room for Justin Coleman, although that hasn't been officially announced yet. We'll find out later. Um, in terms of the practice squad, uh, D lineman Albert Huggins was released and running back da- Dallin Dawkins has been signed. I had a look at Dallin Dawkins and he was an undrafted free agent that spent the last couple of years at the Tennessee Titans on and off the practice squad, onto the main squad, back to reserve futures contracts. So they're just to provide a little bit of uh, just, bash just, in the just, running back room. Just to put in there, Matt, very sorry, it's just come up that we've also re-signed Jonathan Williams back to the practice squad, the running back. Uh, we've got him back from Washington. I think we Ooh. had him before, didn't we? 
We did have him before. How many running backs do we need? That is odd because Bo's now in the main. Bo's now on the main roster, so that's four of them up there. And now we've got three, three running backs in the practice. Oh no, Dallin's Two. left. Dal- yeah, Dallin's left, hasn't he? So Dallin's left already. <laughs> <laughs> He's only been on there for twenty-four hours. Oh man, fair enough. Right, um, moving on from that because they're peripheral players at best, and I'm not sure we know a huge amount about them. Let's mention Everson Griffin for a bit. We mentioned it right at the bottom of the pod on Tuesday, Wednesday. Um, that he'd arrived. It broke while we were recording. It was a very exciting trade for us. A little bit of background on Everson Griffin. We all know and love him very well. In his 10 years in the league, 74 and a half sacks, 16 of which against the Lions. He once hit Stafford seven times in a season in 2017 in two games that those were in Stafford had to go to the x-ray room directly after both of those games so he's a mauler you know you know exactly what you're getting with him now there's a lot of discussion about whether it's good value uh it's a conditional sixth to do with performance incentives it could become a fifth round pick so It's not much of anything, really. We put a poll out um, to the Twitterverse, and 99% of people thought it was a good idea, um, good, being defined as between an A and a B grade. Um, most people just saying, yeah, he might not be much, but it's low risk, and you know the floor is, is pretty high. So that's terrific. But in terms of his production this year at Dallas, he's been underwhelming at best but on one of the worst defences probably of all time in the league. Uh, Commenting on Twitter, he said, our journey continues to the great city of Detroit. To the Detroit fans, y'all are getting a motherfucking dog ready to eat at Lions. Thank you for blessing my family with another opportunity to be great. I can't fucking wait. See y'all tomorrow. I know we kind of said it a little bit on the pod, but how are you guys feeling about this one? It's a sign that we're going in the right direction. I think, you know, we've had the two, we've had the wins the last two weeks now. We've moved to 0.500 and with the trade deadline coming up, it's, it's an investment in this team. We've all said about how linebacker, you know, edge rushers are where we're really short on. And if we want to progress, you know, to the next level, that's where we need to be investing in. And we've got a guy who's a proven edge rusher, as you've said there his stats through the years are really good now maybe within getting on in ages before he once was but still he's going to upgrade that position massively and with the likes of Aquara now coming into his own you know pair them together we've suddenly got a very good chance of getting a quarterbacks now which is going to you know give us a big additional weapon to our game you know we're not just relying on you know coverage anymore we can actually get at these guys put pressure down on them I think it shows faith in this team the team's got a lot of young potential talent there and we've just added a guy you know a little bit of experience in there gonna make us better you know I can it looks good for us going forward I think how about you Aaron what's your feelings um, I'm going to echo a bit of what Anthony's saying. You know when you get a naughty kid, uh, but they're, they're quite a generally naughty kid and they're always doing things wrong, and then all of a sudden they start, they, they start, to, start to do a couple of things. They start to, start to behave, and then they get a couple of treats, and, and, and you get them something quite nice. It feels like that's what we've done with Matt Patricia. He's changed a, changed a few things, managed to do things right, and then we, we treat him a little bit with a new player. Um, and one that's actually the one that hopefully really help us in 
in an area that has overall been, shall we say, underwhelming for the last few years. Uh, it's it's good to see that Aquara is probably going to get some higher level help in in that general area. So I'm really happy with it. And as has been said before, it's it's low risk but high reward. And mm-hmm. and, and the floor it the floor is very high for it. So for a conditional sixth that may turn into a fifth, as a as a whole, how well of our fifth round sixth round picks turned out to be this year may seem a little bit different hopefully but throughout the years how, how how well have we drafted in the fifth and sixth round not great so I'm not being funny but th- this seems to me like it, it would be worth it considering we, we in, in the fifth and sixth round that might be we, we might be getting someone who turns out to be uh, to do almost nothing for us um, and my kind of final little thought and it just proves that we're it just proves once and for all that we're going in for it right now. So if you're a Lions fan wondering what's going to happen for the rest of the season, I'd, I'd suggest buckling up because hopefully before the end of the trade deadline, and I'm sure you'll hopefully bring up a couple more of the, the trade things that have happened or been mentioned, you know, we, we could very well be going for it and the end of this season could look very exciting given who we're going for. Yep, yep, completely agree. I think it just sends a signal as much as anything else, but also everyone who's played with him speaks to his attitudes, and I think he'll be a good dressing room fit as well. Um, I don't know, I don't really have too much more to say about Ever- Everson Griffin. The, the tape speaks for itself. And I, the, the only other thing I mention is if he does come out and he's better than everyone expects, let's say in the next... So he, he can play after after this week, right? So he's going to have nine games with us what happens if he gets 10 sacks in nine games and we really want to keep him we really want to keep him he's under contract so we can we can put the franchise tag on him like if it all goes spectacularly to plan and we can re-sign Golladay to an actual contract we'll have the franchise tag free for him I mean it would be a lot of money for someone but it's only one year so there's always that possibility too as long as you don't do it too many times for too many players, then that's fine. It's just him on his own. I mean, he's already got five sacks this year, so there's quite a possibility that he could carry on that form here in a more settled side. Um, but like you say, it's one or two options. He plays really well. We've got him till the end of the year, and then we can draft in a new edge rusher. So, you know, we've got that gap covered. Or he plays that well that we sign him to a deal long-term, and he's still got a few good years in him yet. So there's really no... Well, I don't really see many bad points to this for us. I think we win either way. Yeah. Okay, moving on. Uh, Stefan Gilmore, the Defensive Player of the Year, a reigning Defensive Player of the Year from last year, and the Patriots' best cornerback, is possibly on the trade block and possibly coming to Detroit. And we put a poll out there asking the Twitterverse, what would you give up for Stefan Gilmore? And the winner, after 127 votes, 36.2% of the vote was a second round pick, but closely followed by a first round pick of 32.3%. So first or second round pick is taking 68.5% of the votes. The remaining people were saying multiple late picks, or they don't want him, don't want him with 16.5%. That surprises me quite a lot. I know he's the defensive player of the year, and I know how good he's proven to be in the past. But he hasn't been that good this season. I mean, he's, he's been 
letting a lot of cover, uh, catches happen. He's not been the player that we saw last year. And maybe that has something to do with how the, the Pats have been playing this year. But for an aging player, someone who looks like he could be getting worse in a position where we have a lot of talent, uh, you know, that played badly in the first couple of weeks, but has really come into their own in the last couple. I think this would be like we were saying about Everson Griffin perhaps being a vote of confidence in the team. I think this would be a vote of confidence against the team and saying actually we need to improve in somewhere a warrior has been terrific. Okuda has been getting much better in the last couple of weeks. He's still not, yeah, yep, he's rapidly improving. And Coleman hasn't been on the field. He's potentially our best corner that we have. Never mind the free agent signing, Trufant, who's barely seen the field. What do you guys think? A second round pick is a popular choice. Aaron, what would you come um, up for? I mean, it, it all depends on what the reasons are for his decline this year and whether it is something to do with the Pats in general um, and whether he could turn up to an organisation that's, that's going for it and maybe got to put a lot more... I mean, I guess in the position that we're in with... It'd be upsetting, I guess in many ways it'd be upsetting to see, but you can imagine him walking in and then trying to put it all on him quite quickly. Um, and that would mean Jeff Okuda or uh, an Oire maybe dropping down a little bit in the pecking order and not being the one and two. Which, and that's not what I want to see happen, by the way. I'm just saying that's what I think would happen, not what I want to see happen. Um, but <laughs> if he would, if he yeah, I'm just trying to. I'm trying not to repeat myself, but that's kind of where I see it. If it's if it's down to what the Pats are going through this year, and he can then, it's just a case of going to a fresh team with a fresh idea and a fresh mentality and a different way of looking at the season right now. Then he'll probably he will perform and he will do things that are hopefully very very good. It's not very often. I know he's you see a player that wins something like Defensive Player of the Year and takes a decline like this without something else hindering it, not just simply a decline in talent. Um, so, but I, I wouldn't give up a first at all. Um, a second may be a little bit of a stretch, but more reasonable. Um, but that, that's about it. I mean, I know I said yesterday in the chat, he, it, and again, what, what I would hope would come in if we were to get someone like this, True Font would be the one who kind of became expendable for it, not Akuda or Awari. But I don't think that's what's going to happen. I do think uh, True Font will kind of be kicked out almost completely. But Awari and Akuda are going to take a hit. And given how young they are, they need to be carrying on playing on the field in the positions that they are with the level of responsibility that they have because they're living up to it. And what the only thing that's going to stop them living up to it is a, is kind of halting their progress a bit. Um, and that'll hit us not just may, may hit us now, but all, will also hit us next year as well. How are you feeling, Ant? I'm in the 16.5%. I am vehemently against this move. I want absolutely nothing to do with him. There's a few reasons. One, he's injured. It came out today he's playing through injury and he might have to have work done. You know, don't want anything to do with that. Two, we've got no need at corner at all. We've got our two experienced guys there. Yes, they've been injured, but they are coming back to form now and backing them up are our two corners of the future who 
have been forced into this maybe a little earlier than expected, but that's working in our favour because they're progressing at a rate of knots now, Oruwariye and Akuda. Absolutely no reason to block their development whatsoever. Um, but the main one for me is our trade situation. We've already committed the sixth and possibly fifth for Everson Griffin, who's 32 years old, who may not stay here very long. Gilmore himself is 30. If we're giving up a second, then look at our draft situation next year. The seventh went with Quandre Diggs to Seattle. The fifth and the sixth are tied up with Everson Griffin currently, which leaves us with only picks one to four currently. And we're going to give one of the premium picks away for a guy who's you know getting on, who might not even be here at the end of the year. And you know it's 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 mortgaging a lot of our future on two guys who are both 30 plus now i'm happy with the griffin one but there's no need because we need a pass rusher but we we don't need a corner plainly and simply we don't need one i know he's really good but you know with a history of getting guys in who've been good who are getting on in years who just decline and it does us no good in the long run for me there's no sense to him coming here whatsoever completely agree if we're going to spend some capital like that Let's get an elite linebacker, for God's sake. I mean, that's a. I know that we've got plenty of linebackers, but none of them are playing particularly well, with the exception of Collins, who is proving that he's been worth a free agent signing. But apart from him, and there's been improvement in the past couple of weeks, it's not a terrific room in there. So I'm, I'm with you, and I'm dead against this move. I do not want him here. As much as anything, when we get all the cornerbacks healthy, if they can all stay healthy, we'll have Oruarie, Akuda and Trufont rotating in and out, which means they're all going to be a bit fresher. It will give Akuda a bit of time on the sidelines, and then when he comes in, hopefully he's going to perform better. It might elevate the entire squad, so it's not a position of need. Don't bother coming, mate. Um, moving on, Golladay has been linked to the New York Giants. Uh, there's a note from Aaron here. It's nothing. Brush it off. Um, and I, I completely agree. Um, it's been rubbished by pretty much everyone, apart from the Detroit Lions and the New York Giants, um, which probably means that it happened. And it's not surprising that it might have happened. Golladay's in the last year of his contract. That's going to attract some attention. But he's our best wide receiver. He's proven that he's one of the best contested catches in the league. And he's staying. And I don't care what anyone says. Um, but... Assuming that he's off, what's it going to take, boys? Uh, every draft pick the Giants have this year <laughs> and some next year, quite frankly. <laughs> I said this on Twitter. They said, oh, yeah, conversations happened. I can tell you exactly what the conversation was. It was the Giants ringing us going, uh, yeah, Kenny's in the last year of his contract. Do you want to sell him? And we go, no, bye. That was it. That, was, that is technically a conversation. And I put this as much out on Twitter and you've got loads of Giants fans going, oh, look at this guy in the notes. Like, no, it's common sense. One, your team's terrible and he doesn't want to go there. Two, we have absolutely no need to sell him. You know, we've got the franchise tag if we need it. But, you know, there's no reason he wants to leave. And he's on record as saying he wants to stay for his career. So, sorry, Giants, but it, that's all it was. A 10-second conversation and we told you to, uh, you know, go away. <laughs> Yeah, that's it, Aaron. He he might be off, but he did say he wouldn't mind staying. What do you reckon? Um, right. I just want to start off. You know, in you ever watch a film or a TV show where there's an actor in it, um, and they read in a script and they do something like blah, 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 hold for applause, and it's like it's a cue to actually do something, but instead they say those exact words. 
I was kind of just that that was kind of a direction more than anything. Brush it off. Mm. It was nothing. Um but no, I'll, I'll take it. Um, no I, I, I'm I'm taking this quite literally again. If you want read any article about it that talks about it happening, language is very, very vague. It's there was a conversation. That's it. That's all that's said. And everybody knows that writers can make huge articles out of three words because they can fill it with bullshit. And that's exactly what writers have done. When writing, when the language is very, very vague, you know that they are trying to make something out of nothing because it sells. And what's going to sell more at the moment than the Galladay contract and talking about something like that with Lions fans? That's it. That's all that's been said. Um, and that that's it. And I, I, it winds me up just how easily people can just get sucked into a headline and don't even read the article they just see the headline and i've seen people saying how offended they are how disrespected they are that the lines even listened you know what happens you, you pick up the phone they ask it, it doesn't even mean it doesn't mean anything um but yeah that interview that he did with them um, i think it was absolutely beautiful watching barry sanders at a square to send the check for galladay's contract um, Galladay wants to stay I've been previously guilty of doing the whole kind of pay the man stuff I will stand here right now and just say look if it's not been done by now I think there's something a bit more going on there's something happening there that we don't know about and it's not as simple as just pay the man anymore um, so but I'm what, I know no one's going to listen to that and they're going to carry on anyway if that's what they're doing. Um, but all I care about right now with Kenny Galladay is I'm going to spend the next two months singing happy, 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 happy Galladays because of that Pepsi advert. And I'm really, really pissed off that the competition for the happy Galladays jumper or sweater is only open to people in residence of Michigan. Uh, if you're on Twitter... I put up a tweet yesterday at Aaron the Mank. Please keep tweet, please reply or like or retweet a tweet I put up because I'm trying to see if Galladay can send or Pepsi can send me out one of these uh, one of these sweaters. Um, and if you could back the back the petition, I'd really appreciate it. Or could any of our American listeners please just like buy one and send one over here yeah. we will pay for it from you it's to yeah, see yeah. the sad look on his face every time he mentions this it, it is actually heartbreaking he's he's you know he's like puss in boots just looks up at you with those little cat eyes like i really want one so yeah if anyone could send us one we'd really appreciate that uh five we'll send you all sweater sizes um or if you want to buy us just as a christmas present i know we're not going to say no to that are we lads I'd love one. I am getting a Lions Christmas jumper already, though. I have to admit, I made a Fanatics order a couple of days ago, and and the invoice for it has not come through yet, so I haven't told you about that. But it's going to be terrific, and I'm going to wear it all the time. I'll tell you what, my workplace are going to be sick of it by the time we're done. Um, about Galladay, I, I know this is a bit of a conspiracy theory, but it's probably quite believable as well. I wouldn't be surprised if it isn't. Um, it's not just the press going wild on this. Considering how vocal Kenny has been recently about wanting to stay and wanting a new contract, I wouldn't be surprised if it's his agent just leaking a little bit of something in to force the issue. Um, 
you know, oh yeah, Kenny's been talking to another team or, you know, there's been discussions about this and it just creates a little bit of pressure and a little bit of, you know, oh, pay the guy that we've been all guilty of doing, mainly because we love the bloke. I'm buying his jersey. Sign the man. Pay the man. Anyway. Um, right. I'm going to say this. I'm going to sound like a brag. I'm going to sound like I know a lot more than I do. Um, but I, 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 shall we say a friend, is friends with um, and, and has quite good information um, due to their their job. And it sounds like I've got this insider friend of mine don't think I do and get information all the time. This one's just a bit lucky. Um, I think from what I'm, I've seen this guy mention that, that there is something more to this going on. And I don't think it's down to Golladay, but I also don't think it's down to the Lions dragging the feet um either so just yeah but hopefully this saga will be over soon because it's well it's got to be hasn't it (laughs) one way or the other it's going to be over very soon i think it's it's a hundred million dollar investment so i think it's more a case of given that the coaching situation has been a bit tenuous, it's when you make the decision to make that investment of money into him because you're going to be investing five years. And as I say, probably the best part of a hundred million pounds in him. So is it a case of waiting on the coach, coaching situation, situation from above, just signing up on it, but whatever they do, they need to do it quick. Yeah. (laughs) um no just uh i just had another chat from from ant as well that uh jonathan williams that we mentioned he's been signed to the active roster not the practice squad so when i said at the top of the show that we were expecting our nickel corner to come back justin coleman it appears as though that roster spot cleared by elijah lee being dropped has been filled by running back jonathan williams that takes our active numbers of running backs including Kabinda, the fullback, to six of the 53, which is an insane amount, unless we're going to play Swift as a full-time slot receiver. I don't see what's going on there, boys. It's an odd one. I, I don't know. What's the weather doing this weekend? Are they expecting it to be a very run-heavy game? I uh, I don't know with this one. But... I, the, the wide the receiver only... thing's been a bit odd. I, maybe they're right. Maybe Swift might go into receiving duties or AP might be used a bit more there because the receivers have been a little bit hit and miss outside of Kenny. It's Yeah, so I'm sorry, I've just seen something from Chris Burke who's the Athletics um, correspondent for Detroit. He said that Williams doesn't count to the 53-man roster until next week because of COVID protocols. So there's still room for for Coleman tomorrow. Um, my bad on that one. Um, I assumed that he could sign straight away because he's been on our team before. But of course, because he's been elsewhere, he has to re-acclimatize to the COVID protocol here. So there we go. Anyway, I'll move on. So for the first time this year, there are going to be fans inside Ford Field. Uh, Lions have announced they're going to allow 500 family and friends to watch against the Colts. Uh, this sounds like a, a good development. Uh, Michigan have dealt with a pandemic admirably, I think, compared to some of the rest of the United States, their transmission rates and their infection rates are low compared to everywhere else. Um, I know it's a bit of a, a controversial subject, uh, the Governor Whitmer and the, the way that she's dealt with it, but hopefully it will allow for a uh, progression of the fans back into the stadium, boys, and a, a, a good development. 
Well, I'd say the Lions have probably been at the forefront of sort of COVID safety. Uh, I know when they first started doing all the adjustments to the training facilities and that, they seem to be ahead of the curve and they seem to have taken their time with fans. So I think if you're going to trust any team to do it properly, ours is probably, you know, as I say, at the forefront of working this situation out properly without putting people at risk. Yeah, I mean... All right. Well, uh, other than the Stafford issue at the start of the year, um, I know we spoke about that a lot earlier on, and how Ke- uh, and obviously no one can forget because of Kelly's reaction. But what other than the complaints from some people from Michigan complaining about the way Whitmer's dealt with it, what else have we heard about Detroit and COVID? Very, very little, especially with the Lions. So I think that that goes to show with all the other mess-ups that the teams have had, we've only come close to one game being changed. And that was a Saints player having a false positive, not a Lions player having anything. So I think what I do want to absolutely commend the whole franchise and the whole organisation for how well they dealt with it, for what they've done, because it's worked. And at the start of the season, I know I know that they're a football uh, they're a football team, and it's a football organisation, and I know that that's the primary thing. But what we've got to look at this year is, um, I, I do want to just say how proud I am of what this organisation has done and how they've clearly been one of the teams that have led the league and shown the way. That was something that was mentioned before the season, which was how Detroit was showing the way. Um, and they have led by example and continue to do that. So absolute, absolute props to to the organisation for just how well they dealt with it. Yeah, it is terrific. They've led the way. Other teams are copying their lead. So long may that continue. Right, if there's any other business, or I'm going to move on to the preview, boys. Okay, moving on, we're going to go into the injury report for Colts at Lions. So let's start with the Lions. So... Bit worrying, but Taylor Decker did not practice on Friday and is questionable. Jaden Reeves may have been, he's been dealing with a non injury related issue that hasn't been disclosed. We don't know what it is. He's questionable. Given how the last week or two has been, I would say that's more doubtful. We're not sure what it is, but hopefully that can resolve itself. Otherwise, Daryl Roberts and Trufant at cornerback are both questionable, but Trufant has practiced, although in a limited basis in the last two weeks, so hopefully he can make his way back into the field. Even as just a relief corner, that would be great. Adrian Peterson did appear on the report, but he does not have a designation. The far more interesting uh, injury report is from the Colts. So there's only two people with a designation, which is Mo Ali Cox, the tight end. He's limited, but he's only one of three tight ends they have. So well, he's been excellent. Not too worried about that for them. But Ryan Kelly has not practiced in, practiced in the last couple of days. He's their star centre. He's questionable. That would be a big loss for them if he doesn't practice. Uh, so he doesn't play. But looking down the rest of the report, the Colts have just come off a bye. So they've had almost 14 days to rest and recuperate, get ready for us. And tackle Anthony Costanzo has not practiced this week. It says rest. T.Y. Hilton, the wide receiver, he's not practiced this week for rest. Uh, other people who've rested at least some part of the week include Julian Blackman, who didn't practice on Wednesday or Friday. Jack Doyle, 
He's not injury related on Wednesday and Thursday, although we practice today. Trey Burton took Wednesday off. Justin Houston took Wednesday off. Uh, Darius Leonard looks like he's coming back. So that's going to be a big one for them. He practiced on a limited basis on Wednesday, but full practice Thursday and Friday. There's a lot of people on this report, boys. And I mean, how, how tired can you be after having not played last weekend? Veteran rest days, aren't they? You have them during the week for your veteran guys. Even if you're coming off a bye, it's the intensity of the training, I think, isn't it? So they're all 30-plus. I, I don't think you read more into it than that, just them getting the day off like they usually would. Maybe, but your, your starting left tackle, your WR1, uh, your rookie safety. I think Julian Blackman's a rookie safety, isn't he? I'm not going mad. I don't think so. Well, Hilton's, ob- Hilton's a veteran. Hilton's Stanzo's a veteran. The, yeah, I, th- I think most of them are veterans, if I'm right. I just think it's veteran rest days they've had there. So, it's just- Yeah, Julian Blackman, 85th pick in the 2020 draft. So I, w- I wasn't going mad. But I-, I know what you're saying, and veterans do get rest days. But how many veterans don't practice at all? I don't know many that get the entire week off after a bye. I, I don't know. I just, I just think it's a bit weird. But hey, we'll move on from that. So, Aaron, over to you. History of Lions at Colts or Colts yeah. Lions. So, I'm really enjoying this little segment um, so far. I've learned, I've learned quite a lot. The Detroit Lions versus the Indianapolis Colts has been a a tie that goes back to 1950. So we have a big history with them. However, in the uh, 70 year history that we have with the Colts, we have only played them 43 times during that era. That stretches back to 30 years of them being the Baltimore Colts. So that uh, during that time of them being the Baltimore Colts, we had quite the history against them. I love looking back on this, especially when you've got teams that have been playing in the 50s because we were bloody good in the 50s. Um, and it's probably the only time where you're only seeing Ws against teams, really. So we started off, we played them, uh, I think we played them five times, uh, five times between 1950 and 1954. And we won all five, and most of them pretty convincingly, including a lovely 35 to nothing victory uh, in Detroit against them in 1954. Uh, that, uh, that record has kind of fluctuated between the two teams uh, since the first loss against the Colts came in 1955. And then, again, since then, uh, most of the time, it's kind of fluctuated. But for the best part, neither team, it's never really gone win-loss, win-loss, win-loss. The Lions have won a few, then the Colts have won a few, and then the Lions have won a few. So I think that says, I think probably throughout that time, especially while they were in in Baltimore, there'd be points where the Lions were a better franchise, points where the Colts were a better franchise. for a few years, and and it just kind of kept fluctuating. Since then, uh, as we played them quite a lot throughout the 60s, uh, and since then, uh, since 1969, 
It's been quite uh, sporadic games. Pretty much every every four or five years we've played them. Uh, since the merger, uh, since they moved to the uh, t- to Indianapolis in the nineteen eighties, I believe it was nineteen eighty three. Uh, the Colts have seen the better side of the results. Uh, since 1985, we have played them eight times with the Colts winning five and the Lions only taking three of them. The last five results is the primary thing I like to go off. Uh, we have played them five times since the year 2000. And obviously that was around the time that the NFL had a huge change in the... In the um, in the scheduling and in the in the divisions, and went to the the modern format that we know right now. And since then, the Colts have won four out of those five games. Uh, however, and this is a big however, the Lions won the last meetup in 2016 in Indianapolis, a close game ending 39-35. So, uh, and overall, the Colts lead the series 21 to 20 with two ties. So a, a win this time would tie up the series 21-21. And I think what would most likely be, given that they've won the last, uh, far out the last five, uh, they may actually get, an, if, if the Colts win, they get an opportunity to kind of pull away from the Lions in the series. So... Quite an interesting history between the two. I don't know much more than this. Um, given that my time of being a Lions fan, we've only played them once. Um, and because of them, they've been in the AFC South and the way that the NFL works, obviously, with scheduling, we play the AFC South once every four years. So it's not a matchup we're going to see many times uh, going forward. Fair enough. Thanks for that, Aaron. That's really interesting, actually. Uh, hopefully we tie it all up. Um, right. Let's have a look at the game summary. So ESPN's matchup predictor has the prediction at 57.1% in favour of the Colts, 42.5% in favour of the Lions, 0.3% chance for tie. That puts the spread at three points in favour of the Indianapolis Colts away and maybe that's not surprising considering that the Lions haven't won at home yet so fingers crossed we can get that first win on the board this season. Uh, in terms of the Colts season to date they are four and two but they are one and two away winning all three of their games at home. Have a look at their schedule. The two games that they've lost have been against the Jags and the Browns. The convincing wins they've had have been against the Vikings and the Jets. The close games they've had were a win in Chicago by eight points, 19 to 11. And the most recent win uh, before their bye week against the Bengals, 31 to 27. So against the, I'm not going to call them legit teams, against the better teams in their schedule, they've had close wins. Um, Apart from the Browns, I think they're legit and they lost to them, so fair play. Um, But they've beaten who they should be, apart from a bad Jags team in week one. In fact, I'm going to go on to it later, but uh, the Colts have had per, um, or football outsiders, they have had the easiest schedule in the NFL so far this season. 
and they're only four and two. So I'm thinking that they're not as good as their record suggested. And I know that someone's going to chip in, probably Anthony, saying, oh, but I thought you said that this team was really good and it was going to win the AFC South. In fact, I put money on the fact that they were going to win the AFC South. And that doesn't look very likely, considering how good that Titans team is. But maybe this Colts team is overrated, boys. And with a two-win streak that we're on, I think we're perhaps underrated into this matchup. What do you think? I think it's fair. I'd say maybe 57 to 43. I mean... We are. We have won the last two weeks, but as we've constantly been getting reminded by every single detractor of the Lions out there, they are easier games that maybe we should have won. But the thing for us, this is this is an ideal next step up in opposition. Obviously, the Jags were not the greatest team in the world who we managed to put away. The Falcons, we were getting told all week about how their offense was going to absolutely rip us to shreds, which it didn't. We kept Ender really well. And now, obviously, this week we got to deal with an elite defense. And I think that is why the Colts are where they are this year. I think apart from against the Jags in the first one, the defense has really stepped up this year. And that O-line as well. I think these are where the two critical sort of battlegrounds are going to come in this one. That O-line has been immense for them. I think Rivers has only been sacked six times this season so far, which I think goes some way to explaining why they might not have been exposed as much as they can be, because Rivers isn't exactly the mobile well, he's never really been a mobile quarterback, but still with age, he's not you know great at escaping a pocket anymore or when he's under pressure, so you know, this is a big test our new edge rush that we seem to have found out of nowhere. Can that you know, overcome this really good O-line? Can it get at Rivers? Because that's going to be crucial in sort of determining the outcome of this game. And then on the other side of the ball, it's, you know, can the offense stand up? Because we've, and I know particularly I have said all season, this offense is capable of great things, you know, given the depth, you know, of the receiver core, the tight ends coming through, the running back room doing well, but it just doesn't seem to have all come together at once. Obviously Stafford's form, was much improved last week, which is wonderful for us to see. Swift is, you know, getting better as the weeks go by and hopefully the receivers are sorting themselves. So is is this the week where we see the offense? And I think those are the two vital questions. Can this pass rush overcome this O line and show that they're legit? And can our O line show uh, sorry, can our offense be as good as we all know they can be? Right. I have a series of stats which I've put together. I've kind of consolidated some of the uh, more important bits where there's just so much going on. So I'm just going to run down a few of these things and maybe a few things will jump out to some of you guys. So Colts, I've already mentioned four and two. Scored 157 points. That's 14 from the NFL. They've only conceded 115. That's fourth in the NFL. So that's terrific for them. They're plus three in the turnover margin. They've created 10 turnovers that's eighth in the nfl but they've given up seven which is the 13th most in the nfl in terms of their offense 100 uh, sorry 1591 yards that's 10th but they are first in net yards per attempt at 7.6 yards per attempt rivers has completed 69.7 percent of his passes this year for seven touchdowns and six interceptions his passer rating is 93 quarterback rating per espn 63.7 in terms of receiving touchdowns, no one has got more than two so far this year. That's not surprising given that 
Rivers has only thrown seven of them. The, uh, the leaders, Zach Pascal and Morali Cox, with two each. In terms of rushing, they have 588 yards of rushing offense. That's 28th in the NFL, but they are dead last in yards per attempt at 3.6 yards. So, first in net yards per attempt in rushing, uh, sorry, in passing, but last in yards per attempt in rushing. In terms of rushing touchdowns, Jonathan Taylor has three in Nathaniel Hines, Nathan Hines, can't remember. Um, N Hines has one. Uh, third down conversions, they are 23rd in the NFL with 39.2%. And on fourth down, only 62.5%. That's right in the middle. Uh, in terms of their, their catching percentage, obviously it's quite high for Rivers. It's almost 70%. But if you actually have a look at the numbers, there's a high volume of passes and catch rates on short to intermediate passing routes. Those with 10 or more targets have between a 69 and 94% completion rate, all to running backs, tight ends, or wide receivers not called Pascal or Hilton, who are the top two in targets. Those called Pascal and Hilton have only caught between 54 and 57% of their passes. So very high completion rate short and a very low completion rate long to some of their key receivers. Hilton leads the league in the number, so leads the team in the number of targets he has, but he also is the lowest in terms of completion percentage on the team. That completes my offensive look. On the defense, they've only conceded in the passing game 1,198 yards at second in the NFL. Net yards per attempt, they're fifth at 5.8%. In terms of rushing, they're third in the NFL, 530 yards. Net yards per attempt, 3.5. That's fourth in the NFL. So second in passing, third in rushing. On third down, they're only conceding a 40.5% completion rate. That's 15th in the NFL. But they're conceding 75% on fourth down. That's 22nd. Their 10 turnovers I mentioned earlier, they're all interceptions. They haven't recovered a fumble. Of those interceptions, two are by linebackers, eight are by DBs. So there's a bit of room over the middle. Their linebackers aren't doing a huge amount. Most of their picks are coming from their corners and their safeties. In terms of their sacks, they've got 13 of them. They're led by Justin Houston on the defensive end slash Jack linebacker. Uh, he also has six quarterback hits. DeForest Buckner, their trade for a first-round pick in the offseason from San Francisco, he's got two and a half sacks and 13 quarterback hits through uh, six games. The amazing thing with that record is they're 32nd in the blitz rate they are a joint 31st, but I'm going to say a dead last in blitz rate. They blitz 13.8% of the time. In addition to that, they've only missed 24 tackles all year. That is number one in the league. Just for comparison, because I know we've harped on about Detroit not finishing the tackles. They've missed 51 tackles. That's 22nd in the league. Colts number one. Uh, on special teams... They've kicked 16 of 18 field goals and 15 for 15 on extra points. Punters, 46% touchback rate. So we're going to have a chance to return the ball. And with our elite special teams group, that could be an opportunity for us. Their punter has an average of a 47 yards per attempt. Um, clearly not as good as Jack Fox. So we've got, a, we've got an edge there. Um, it is worth mentioning that in the most recent game, Isaiah Rogers had a 101-yard kickoff return 
uh, for a touchdown in the last game. Uh, I mentioned already that in their past schedule metric from Football Outsiders, the Colts had the easiest schedule in the NFL by a, quote, large margin. Um, I think that in terms of how easy it's been for them, it was minus 17%, however that's calculated, whereas the next nearest was minus 12%. So it's not even close. In comparison, Detroit have had the 14th hardest um, so far, so they're upper middle of the pack. Um, what else do I have? Just a couple more things. It was in terms of quarterback rating, Rivers is 21st, Stafford is 17th. In DVOA, Rivers is 15th, Stafford is 17th. In terms of DYAR, Rivers is 17th, Stafford is 18th. So the quarterbacks have had a fairly similar year so far. Just a quick one on the Bengals game, and I know we might delve into that a bit now. But the second quarter against the Bengals is Rivers' most yards in a quarter in his career. I think he had something like 240 yards in the quarter, which is just incredible. Uh, it, worth mentioning that he brought the team back from 21-0 down at the start of the quarter to, I think, 21-17. So it was a big scoring quarter for them. But that's the uh, little roundup I have of the Colts so far. It's clear that they're, they're good in the passing game, bad in the rushing game, defense-wise, elite in all areas, although they do give up a bit on fourth down, good amount of turnovers, they don't blitz, they don't miss tackles, and their special teams group is good. It's hard to find a chink in the armor here, boys. Um, I don't know. I think the stats you read out there sort of outline what I said a little bit earlier there, I mean, considering people are saying they're going to be, you know, that much of a step up in opposition, that offense is nothing to certainly be feared. I mean, you look at the guys there, there's only one receiver who's passed 200 yards this year, which is Hilton, and he's not got any touchdowns there. The running back game, obviously, they lost Mack early on, but Williams is very good in his own right. But, you know, if we can keep it tight, like we have the last two games, then... I don't think they're going to put up that many points on us. And the, the, the crucial thing is we can breach that O-line and hit Rivers. I think that's the thing. When you've only been sacked six times, I think you know Stafford's had over 15 now. It just shows you sort of in perspective how well protected he's been. And, you know, that game, the last game against the Bengals sort of showed that it allowed him to sort of play the game how he wanted to, not getting hassled too much. If you can put pressure on him, I think, you know, it, given his age and his skill set now, it's it's going to put up a lot of problems for him. It's it is that defense though that that is the worrying thing. Like you say, it's not many not many weaknesses there. I think the only thing we can say in our favor is we do have a much more dynamic offense now. You know, we have a running game for the first time in years. We have plenty of receiving options. You know, Hawks having a breakout year there. I think we just need to dip into the playbook a bit. You know, mix it up, and I think the you know. This could be the offense's coming out day. You know, we all know how good it is. And if they're going to perform, you know, in any game this year to show us what they can do, this is this is going to be it. But I think the injury to Decker is going to be bad, though, if he doesn't play. I think I'm a little worried maybe about that O-line. I don't know who's going to replace him there. It's it's a bit of an odd one that the O-line has been, has, you know, has been really good this year. And we don't want that to disrupt there, so... I don't know. It's one of those. I, I just, I think we've got a perfectly good chance of winning this if the team continue progressing how they have. 
I don't see no reason there why we can't win. How are you feeling, Aaron, on that? Um, no, I agree. I think this is this is a winnable game. Um, I've shot myself in the foot before, as I think uh, more than anybody, you, me, and uh, you, what well, us three have uh, by being probably a bit. <laughs> Been a couple of games, I think, where, we, where we've been very confident so far this year and been shot in the foot by that. But no, it is, it's a winnable game. It's one that I see, um, I, I, I see a, a, an option where Hawkinson doesn't maybe have to force him, uh, have to force himself to be a hero of a game or be one of the, the games, uh, uh, the game's key players. I see this as a game that Hawkinson could really, really take a hold of for this offense and could potentially be um, a game winner throughout the game. Not because he, uh, not because obviously he catches uh, a, <laughs> catches a touchdown in the last second. Obviously, I'm not saying that's all he does um, or all he has done uh, even last week. But it's a game where Hawkinson could be key throughout uh, in the set in the success and and Jesse James as well. Because uh, I know, like you say, that there's a lot of holes down the middle, um, and the linebackers haven't done done great. But you know, you say say we're, we're doing quite well with Parkinson in the first half. You throw Jesse James in there, and he'll bring something different with Parkinson in there as well. So I think, yeah, it, it's a game that on offense. I, I believe Anthony's right. We have a dynamic offense that will. Uh, that that can really put up, uh, put up and, and and chop and change and do different things to the Colts, um, and I think the it's a game where I've seen a lot of people turn around and this is a very generic thing for the NFL at the moment, which is stop the run early and stop the deep threat, and you generally tend to be all right. And I think that that's a big that's a big shout for some of the more dynamic QBs. But this isn't going to be the case today uh, on Sunday. I don't. I don't think it is. It's not got. They've seen. You've seen obviously how uh, just through those stats, just how not great that that running game has been for them. So it's not a game where I think obviously you're going to always have to keep keep contain keep containing the run. But the running game's not going to be a, a, a huge a huge issue for us. And that's that's a good thing because, again, it can be another game where uh, our interior defensive linemen can hopefully not, hopefully won't struggle and can hopefully put up a bit of a better game um, because the Lions have only given up an average of uh, 4.5 yards a game. Uh, sorry, 4.5 yards a carry. Sorry. I was gonna say that is like the, these these elite level defenses, and then these four point five yards rushing a game that you allow. That's another level. Um, the lines are not there yet. <clears throat> so it's going to be very interesting though to see to see how that fares. Um, and I think the yeah. So the, the what's going to be really interesting to see is how Jamie Collins uses his experience to. Hopefully, try and shut down uh, Philip Rivers' arm. The deep threat is not going to be as worrying this time, even though we said we said that against the Saints, and 
we were right. And even looking at the Saints game, we kept getting bit in the middle behind the linebackers on a number of times, a number, a number of times. And hopefully that, that lesson's been learned and, and hopefully that we can keep, we can keep um, the middle behind the linebackers solid. The safeties may have a, a different role this week. Instead of having to support uh, to support the corners, the safeties may even have to come down and start supporting the linebackers a bit more, um, and uh, and supporting the, the the line and and the inter uh, the mid range threats that they have. I I went to the extent of putting Mo Ali Cox on my fantasy team a few weeks ago, and he he was all right with putting me up a few points. So I know that he can. He can put up and turn up and do what he needs to do every game. But the Colts are not a team I've done a lot of research on, to be quite honest with you. The Colts are not a team that I know too much on, and I can only try and go off what numbers are up there. So I can't say whether those numbers are flattering or whether they're deceiving um, in a negative way. The only thing I can really take from the Colts so far is the Bears game in which Anthony said it was probably the single worst game he's ever watched in his life. Yeah, uh, it still haunts me to this day. It was absolutely <laughs> atrocious. I'm sorry, but it was. It, was, it yeah. was one of the... But I think that's not really necessarily been a slight against the Colts. That's more been against the Bears because they've just got a really good defence which can shut opposing teams down, but then they're so bad on offence. I, it I just love fun. that. I, I, was, I was watching the Chiefs, I think, or the Bills, and I was, I was loving life. It was an offensive game. It was exciting. And you're like, I chose this game, and I'm going to watch it to the end. And that's a, a testament to your character, Ant. But my God, turn the channel over. For God's sake, it was such a terrible game. <laughs> Yeah, but I was working. On, I was working on the presumption that the second I turned over, it had become good, and I didn't want to invest all that time watching through the utter rubbishness to miss the good. So it, it's sort of one of those. It's I know that I need to learn the point of where to quit is, but and you know that game taught me a lot about you know when to quit watching a game because it's just not going to get any better. But um, that was just a game where two really good defences and two really bad offences. In fairness, if anything, the Bears showed you how to do it with them. I, th I would agree with Aaron. I think, you know, we just go really aggressive against Rivers here. I'm not as concerned about the deep threat. Obviously, it is there and we need to be mindful of it. But, you know, I back our corners. They're getting better every week. Um, I would just rush him, make him panic because I don't think he's as good in that situation anymore. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, sorry. You were no, I, I have more on that. So I, I was going to ask about Bengals Colts, um, and just have either of you guys watched Bengals Colts from Week Six? No, I watched a little bit, but you probably so know I, a bit more than me. I watched it this lunchtime just to be a little bit more informed, and it was Rivers' best game of the season by far. One of the things that I saw is, although it took a little while for him to kind of you know, rev the arm up a bit. He did have quite a few completions long and accurately, which worried me because, you know, what? how you performed in week one through five doesn't matter as how you performed in the most recent game you played. And Rivers had his best game of the season by far in terms of uh, his accuracy in the short game and in the long game. He missed a couple of passes long by overthrowing, but otherwise he was on the money more often than he wasn't. So... 
I worried about that deep ball. And actually, I took a quick look on the Athletic, and before the Vikings game against the Colts, um, so there was a, an article written by Arif Hassan, who I think is the Vikings writer for the Athletic, on the 18th of September about how to play against Philip Rivers. So I thought, well, that would be interesting to read for the pod. So here we go. And uh, the numbers are weird, like really weird. So I'm not quite sure when this was calculated to. I assume it was up to the Vikings game, which I think was week four. It might have been week three, not sure, but it doesn't matter. Um, Philip Rivers, in terms of adjusted net yards per average, in general, on all dropbacks, he averages 6.86 adjusted net yards per attempt. That puts him about middle of the pack. You take Philip Rivers against the Blitz, and that goes up by a yard. He goes to second in the league against all quarterbacks in all situations. Just solely against the Blitz, he is one of the most elite quarterbacks in the league. So just to put that in context, Patrick Mahomes on any drop back, whether he's pressured or is not, is at 8.56 adjusted net yards per attempt. Drew Brees is third on 7.7 adjusted net yards per attempt. So those are whether you're against a blitz, no pressure, drop off, whatever. But you just take Philip Rivers against the blitz, he's second. That's stunning. What that says to me is, and this is going to fit into Matt Patricia's scheme very, very well, is don't fucking blitz Philip Rivers. Like, don't do it, because he's going to burn you. He is so good. He just ha- It happened a lot against the Bengals. He hung in the pocket, and he delivers a dime. He is not scared. He doesn't get phased by blitzes whatsoever. If you blitz, you better beat that O-line, because that O-line is so good. If they pick you up, they're, they've, on one-on-one coverage, he's too accurate for you to beat. And actually, what he suffers against is you just rushing three or four, and beating your man there and having enough in coverage because his arm isn't strong enough to get the ball there quickly. And that's actually borne out a bit. Just got a little bit more on this article. It just says, Rivers is much better against man coverage than against zone coverage in the past five years. Against man, he has an extra half a yard per attempt than against zone because he's better against one-on-one pressure than he is people against zones. Uh, What Rivers struggles against is being under pressure versus being against the blitz. So under pressure, he only gets three and a half adjusted net yards per attempt. So when he's under consistent pressure, but not under the blitz, he struggles. And that's what our defensive line has actually been really good at the past couple of weeks, is just consistently getting pressure. And so I feel like Patricia's scheme and the way our D-line has been playing recently is actually a really good matchup for us. I don't know how you guys feel about that, but that blitz rate and the adjusted net yards was shocking to me. Well, the thing is, we've now got two genuine edge threats to go with that. You know, well, not for this one, we don't with Griffin, but Aquara, I think he might be sort of pivotal to this one. But if you look at the game again, he only got sacked once against the Bengals, and I don't think they put a great deal of pressure on him there and I think that's that's what you said he needs to be put under consistent pressure and to do that you do have to overwhelm that O-line but I'd like to see us maybe go at it and really do try and put him under pressure because I think 
he's got so much time. And like you said, he, he's got the time to sit in the pocket, pick his passes. And, you know, that's where a veteran like him will be really good in his game. So I wouldn't like, even if it's just early, just to try it out, I'd like to see us been aggressive and going to get him and seeing what sort of, you know, success we have there. Because I say, I trust our secondary. I'm starting to trust it more now against the deep threats. And as I say, none of their receivers are on fire this year. We're not dealing with the the most elite guys anymore. I know Hilton's good, but no touchdowns there. You know, the others are a sort of plethora of guys, but there's no standout guy who can really burn us. Not not would worry me against Akuda and Arawariye anyhow. So I'd like at least to see us try it to start with and see if that works. If, you know, if it's not working, if that O-line's standing up and we can't make any pressure, then, you know, adjust to it. If there's one thing you can be sure of is that the Colts are going to start slow and the Lions are going to start fast. That's been the story of this year so far. The Colts love going behind in the first quarter and the Lions love going up in the first quarter. So if there's one bet that I think you can back this week is that the Lions lead after the first quarter, if anything's been one to go by so far. I think, you know, it might do good. The fact is now that with two wins on the bounce, that confidence now is, I, th- I think it helps you in situations, especially if they try a comeback or anything. I'd like to see how the team reacts now when put under the pressure it was in the first few weeks, you know, when it had the record hanging over them of throwing away leads, you know, of choking under pressure. I think we might see a completely different team there in regards to that mentally now. So it, if we can get off to a quick start, I think, you know, that, that could be the pivotal part of the game there for us. And like I say, if we can make Rivers feel uncomfortable, there are games this year where he's not been good at all. I mean, I know there was talk at one stage of him getting dropped because he had such a poor start there. So, I don't know. It's one of those, I say, but I certainly think if we get after him, there's, there's definitely an opportunity there. And I don't feel like we can get burned like we did against the Saints, against the Packers. It's just, yeah, that defence is a problem. But our guy, Stafford, is now, he had a perfect, well, he had as good a game as he could last week. So he's coming into form at the right time. And I think a lot of the teams they've faced, they've not got offences which are as dynamic as ours in sort of terms of the personnel, what we can do, how we can scheme. I think we bring a lot to the table. And I think they're really going to have to work this week to do well. So... Yeah, agree. We've got too many weapons. They can't account for all of them. But yes, use Hawk. Hawk's the guy. Um, any more on the Colts, boys? Um, I want to add in here that the fact that with these, a lot's been made of the fact that you know they got beat by the Jaguars in week one. I want to just quickly say, I want to quickly poo-poo that idea because week one in this year's NFL, is bullshit. That result almost doesn't count. It's a load of crap. Um, it it does good for your mentality. It does good for um, for the feeling of winning going on to the rest of it. But as a general whole of things, there is your preseason. Um, it's fitness. It's getting players back. Getting players ready. Week one doesn't count for shit. Um, because if you want to go off the fact that all oh, they got beat by, uh, if you want to go by, by that fact, you could turn around and say, well. The Jaguars won in week one against the Chargers, so they're obviously not that bad a team. That's something that we've all seen. Um, to be completely false. Uh, I'm really glad that we've had the two games that we've had recently, uh, most recently after our bye week. I know that they're going to come in fresh, 
Um, not only is half the te- has the team had a bye week, but it seems like half the team has had a bloody holiday. Never mind the bye week. Um, so hopefully half of them come off drunk off daiquiris and you know spending a week on the beach because no, there's no beaches in India in Indiana rather. Um, that's inland. Well, maybe maybe they've gone away for a week. I don't know. Maybe maybe they've gone to the coast. But uh, you know they they're coming in well rested. They're coming in probably they're going to come in up for it. But the games that we've had, we've seen two different, very different games. And I don't give two craps what anyone wants to say about the the Falcons and their record. Everybody knows that they have an explosive offense that can that can kill teams. Um, and we all knew that that was going to be a shootout or a very cl- and a very very close game. We've proven that we know how to actually keep hold of a game against the Jags. We didn't let ourselves. We didn't get overwhelmed when we when we went up. We didn't get out of control. We and we set the tempo for a whole game and proved against a very different quarterback. I understand. But we made we made that quarterback play to what we wanted Minshew to do. We we proved that we can do that. Okay, not against the greatest, not against someone who's even elite level, but we proved that we can do it. And we've also proved that we can actually take the for the second time a game against the scruff of the neck and win it in the trenches. So and that's been since the bye week, and that's been one game, then another game. I don't think this game's going to be both, either of those. It's not going to be a one-point, last-second of, of the game drive um, with the emotion <laughs> and excitement that we saw uh, uh, on Sunday. And I also don't think it's going to be the blow-away total control game that we saw against the Jags. We're against a, a completely different team, but we're against a team which I think could be quite suitable for for that in the middle side, for that in the middle of it. We can, with the players that we've got on defense, sh- essentially shut down the, the, the receiver threats and, and or make it very tough. And it wouldn't really matter if um, Rivers is throwing dimes. Because he'll be throwing them into deep, into well contested, very good coverage, and it's on the receiver as much as it's on the dime of a pass to make that catch. What I really think, and I, I know I've already said this, and I think I'm going to say it again. This is how this is the this is the game where we really need to see those linebackers turn up and do the job we need them to do because it's so been so far the single most disappointing aspect of our whole team. And I believe, and I still firmly believe, and I know going back to, way back to the start of this podcast and talking about the trade and talk about Stefan Gilmore, I 110% agree with you, Matt, that the linebacker is the utmost of utmost importance right now. Um, But it's, it's a game where I think, we are really going to test test the strength of just how versatile this defense is. We've proven that we can kind of do the, the generic shutting down of a quarterback and the running game and forcing the uh, you know and shutting down the deep threats. We've proved that we can um, 
kind of do similar, but in a in a much different kind of way to the Falcons. The game where we gave up five touchdowns in a row was against a quarterback who's doing very similar things and had very similar um, what we believe going into the game a very similar threat and was almost quite similar in the fact that they weren't going to be going deep. They weren't going to be looking that far. It was going to be, what are the, what, what are the slant routes doing? What are the, um, what are the, where are the laterals? Uh, how, how far are we going for the laterals? Uh, yeah. What are the slants? What are the screen passes looking like? And there's going to be the test. It's how do we stop those? And we, seriously failed the last time round seriously failed that one and the true test as well of how far the coaches have come and how much Patricia has really taken in and taken on board will come with what lessons has he learnt from that Saints game that he can apply to on Sunday Um, and I believe that yes okay I've stood here a million times and gone just give it to the end of the season and admit, like I said, I don't want him here, but I still don't want him to go to the end of the season. I will make a, a, a big call on what I think of him uh, again or a re-evaluation on Sunday. Yeah, yeah, completely agree. It is a litmus test for both teams, I think. If the Colts come out of this one, they go to 5-2. and two, It's a big win on the road. They've proven that they can beat a team that's perhaps a little bit more legit than some of the other ones that they've beaten so far. Likewise, if the Lions take this one, it's the first really big scout they've had. And it proves that, you know, they can go on from here to bigger and better things. Three in a row, the momentum will be with them and the sky's the limit, you know. At the oh, moment, no, uh, the Lions schedule, it could be eight and three if we win this one, so... Oh, no, it'll just be, oh, yeah, Philip Rivers isn't as good as he once was anymore. The beating the Colts ain't a big thing. You know what it's like. When when the Lions yeah. win a game, it's it's different to what it is. But I'll disagree with Aaron in saying the first week isn't very important because our first week could prove out to be very pivotal this season. I mean, if, if we lose against the Purple Incarnations of Satan next week, then we've got an 0-3 record in our division and our playoff hopes are pretty much over. That was a huge week for us there. You know, and it's that's sort of making us rely on winning so many in a row now to to try and get back into it. So, you know, the Jags win is not. Um, sorry, Matt, go on. No, 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 sorry. Um, no, I was just about to say that Jags win isn't in any way sort of a fluke or anything. They've they've shown that teams, you know, if the Jags can beat them, we certainly can. And I understand what you try. I, I understand completely where you're coming from when you say that. I really do. And um, when you're looking at divisional games, it's. I mean, we talk about this when we talk about soccer or football or or, or, um, when two top teams or two teams on the brink who are right at the bottom when they play each other. Um, For those of you who are listening who don't fully understand the way soccer and our leagues work, a win is not just a win and it goes on to a record. It's worth X amount of points. So a win is worth three points. And when you play a team that is in contention for the same thing that you're in for, whether it's the league title or whether it's finishing in the bottom three and getting kicked, uh, getting dropped a, a league or, or dropped a division, it's we look at it as a six. We call it a six-point swing because 
not only is that win a win for you, but it's also a loss for a direct opponent. It's a two-game swing when you're playing the divisional rival. And yes, that result is important. And yes, when it comes down to it, hopefully the Bears kind of keep drop, do, do start to see, see that decline that we're all so desperate to see. Um, and we obviously, hopefully, we, we, we can really start taking it forward. But yeah, the, the result, yes, it's important. But when I say week one doesn't really count for shit, I mean it in the sense that what you see on week one is not necessarily a bearing on what you're going to see for the next 15 weeks. What you see in week one is not going to be, um, it is not indicative of how you, your team's going to carry yourself given the fact that you've got to basically, and I've said this a few times and I'll say it again, play four preseason games in one game. Um, and again, you look at that first that first game of the season, there were some wins in there where you sat there like, what the hell's going on? And that Jags game was one of them. Um, so that's kind of that's kind of where I was getting at with with the fact that I feel like the, the week one, in a sense, doesn't mean diddly squat um, because you're not seeing a true representation and you're seeing teams still adapting and trying to learn um, in the first game. So it, it wasn't so much a, a knock on the record, I know because I know the bearing it has on there, but that that's where I was kind of getting at with it. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. The the loss against the Jags was unexpected, but they've played much better since then, especially in the most recent game against the Bengals. To come back from a twenty-one to nil deficit shows a lot about their character and how quickly this team can score. So we can't take that for granted. I quickly wanted to go into our preseason predictions. I know we briefly mentioned them in the last pod, but just to go into them a bit more. Of the five of us, we have four and one in favour of the Lions. I was the lone wolf that said it was going to be a loss, and I am on the spread line. So I had a, a good bearing on where Vegas was going to be so far. I went for a three-point loss. Uh, we had Martin with a three-point win, Anthony and Aaron with a seven-point win, Ryan with a 12-point blowout. Just to mention how we've all done this year so far, Aaron's leading the way on pure predictions with a 5-1 and one record. I'm on 4-2. and two. Then we have Ryan and Anthony 3-3 three and three, and Martin taking up the rear on 2-4. and four. So not the best for him. Uh, but since Aaron's gone 5-1 and one and he's going for a win, I'm going to hope for that one. In terms of how we feel like it's going to go this week, now we've got all the accumulation of the information from the past seven weeks. Do you want to update that prediction? Where do you think it's going to go this week? Um, I'm going to... I'm going to stay. I'm going to stick. Seven-point win. Okay. I'm going to stick. Um... If I don't, it's going to change by maybe two points. So I'm just going to stick with it um, and kind of hope for the best. And how are you feeling? I'm sticking with mine. I, um, You're I still... consistent. Yeah, no, I mean, looking at what we've got so far, I again, I, th- I think we can win this by a score. 
you know, it's, it's going to come down to two very critical junctures. But from what I've seen in the last two weeks, the progression of the team, I think, you know, this is the logical next progression for them. And I've got every faith in them that they can do it. So seven point win. And Fair our enough. season is uh, well and truly rolling. I'm going to change mine. So I, I believe firmly that we're going to win this game. But I, I think it's going to be really close. I think potentially the Lions are going to come in to late in the fourth quarter with an eight-point lead. And the Colts are going to score a touchdown with kind of time getting close to expiring. And they're going to fail on the two-point conversion to lose the game. So I'm going to go with the Lions win by two to change my prediction. I think that the Colts are going to suffer at the hands of our defense. And our offense is the best they've faced so far this year. And they're going to suffer. I think that defense is overrated based on the offenses they face so far this year. So that's where I'm at. With the greatest of due respect to you, my heart, I don't think, could deal with that, you know, sort of last seconds, them going for a two-point conversion to win it after last week. I'd, I'd just like a nice, simple one-score win. Kneeling, oh. the, kneel, 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 kneeling down, running the clock out. You know, that, that, that'd be just right this week. No more last-second nail-biters or anything like that, please. Otherwise, I know, I know how Americans feel about kneeling, but I'm going to take Stafford kneel all day. Absolutely. None of, none of this, you know, last second, two-point attempt, field goal, anything like that. I just want a nice, simple win. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> you are too close to the American election for you to start getting that sort of jokey level of political, Matthew. Please. Oh, come on. Yeah, it's only a joke. I'm going to be up all night for the American election. I've got five days off specifically for the American election. So I'm going to be – it's my anniversary as well. And I'm watching it all night. So fun times for Sarah. Anyway, sorry, I interrupted you, Aaron. No, that's fine. Um, because nobody is listening anymore anyway. Um, <laughs> They've all gone now. I want to mention one last key thing. And it's going to, uh, hopefully going to be really quick. Average time, uh, average time of possession. The Lions have an average possession time of 29 minutes and 34 seconds. The Colts have an average possession time of 30 minutes and 51 seconds. So that's roughly 20, that's 20 seconds either way. Um, the, well, 29. Yeah, so the Lions have about 20 seconds more possession than the Colts are, are, are giving up. Um, so the Colts are seeing a, a fair share of the ball in most games more than what the Lions will normally let a team have. Right? I'm saying this really fucking complicated. I, I know what you mean. But yeah, yeah, you know what I mean. One thing I do want to see a bit more is how well we control the ball. And I want to see that 29, 29 minutes 30 roughly start to creep its way back up to 30 minutes average time of possession. Um, because I think that we, it doesn't matter, right? It doesn't matter what team you're playing against at what level they are or whether they're an elite team or a shocking team. At the end of the day, they're playing with players that are good enough to play in the NFL. Whether you can only beat and play what's put in front of you. And if you can prove that you can keep up to a certain level of pace, to a certain level of coverage, and you've proven that you can get your hand into 
tight, horrible little places that you would whether whether you're against up against a good receiver or not on defense or whether you're a, a Kenny Golladay. Kenny Golladay, just because he's made tight contested catches against the Jags does not mean he can't do it against the Colts. Um so I wanna see I want to see the play because they, they've proven they can do what they can do and they've proven now that they can do it to actually put it into, the, the, and they can put it into, into practice and hopefully now start to take care of the ball a little bit better and keep a bit more control over the game because the last thing we want, despite how good this offence can be, and despite how this defense has proven that he it can make stops and put themselves where they need to be, close the gaps they need to close, get on top of the receivers they need to be on top of, the fuck me, I've lost myself again. Um, although that they've proven that they can they can do it. The last thing we need against a team like the Colts, who are a better team at controlling the ball, is allowing them to control the game and control the clock. Because the moment we lose, we lose that. We, I think, we lose the game. Um, the other key area I think that we're going that's going to take it, and I think it's the same on both ends of the field is not the deep threat and isn't even necessarily the run game. It's how you are taking control of that middle, say, 7 to seven to 15 yard range or even, say, 5 to 15 yard range that if you win the... If you are winning the, the, the matchups there, if you're winning... Uh, if your receivers or your tight ends are winning those matchups or whether it's uh, your linebackers and the cornerbacks who are winning those matchups. And that will play a huge part in determining who actually gets their offense going and who actually, which defense actually turns up more than the other. Um, I'm losing myself a little bit, um, but right. I, you, you can get where I'm going with it, hopefully. Yeah. Um, I mean, the other thing about controlling the ball is that and this is such a cool stat, and I know I haven't mentioned it yet, but the Lions are the first team in NFL history not to have a fumble through week seven. That's yeah. such a cool stat. I love that so, so much. Um, Jim Ward. Ha <laughs> ha. Hey, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that it's a good thing. I'm just saying that it happens. That's all I'm saying. I saw, I saw the article before, uh, and the headline was something like, the Lions are the number one team uh, looking after the football. And the comments underneath it were just, how are we great at controlling, like looking after the football, given that, you know, we're, we're losing the time of possession starts and we're losing. It's like, just, just read the fucking article. <laughs> yeah. Read the fucking article. Yeah. Um, just one little quick tweet to finish. Justin Rogers of the Detroit News um, announced an hour ago. Adrian Peterson's foundation will be donating 1,000 meals to Detroit families in need for every touchdown the Lions score at home games in November and December and 2,000 meals 
if Peterson scores a touchdown. So there's an added reason to root for a, for all day this weekend. Any more, boys, before we wrap? Um, has Peterson been talking to Marcus Rashford? <laughs> yeah, they're good friends. Good friends. Any um, more? That's no. it this week. All right. Let's do it. So don't forget, guys, join us for the virtual pride on the Roar of the Lions Zoom this Sunday, starting 5.30 UK time, 12.30 US time. In terms of the socials, on Facebook, we are Detroit Lions fans, UK, one pride worldwide. Add us on Twitter, ROTL underscore UK. On Instagram, ROTL.UK. And on the web, RoarTheLionsUK.com. I'm Matthew Turner. Thank you to my co-hosts, Aaron Fletcher, Anthony Fitzpatrick. We will see you on Sunday for the live event. Come on, Lions. One pride. One pride. One pride. Thank you.